practice of equanimity. And I wanted to give you a short overview to begin with so you can do the practice with some deeper understanding of um, what the details are and why we do this. And then tonight I'm going to be giving a fuller Dharma talk on equanimity. So for now it's just the basic information that you could probably uh, use as you're doing the practice. First of all, to understand that equanimity is one of the four Brahma-viharas. And some of you are fairly new to practice, so you may not know what Brahma-viharas mean. Brahma-vihara means divine abode. Vihara or vihara means abode. And Brahma means high or divine. And this is not some kind of place or abode or dwelling place outside of us. Some in some heaven realm or something. But it's a place within our own hearts. It's really a place where we can go to inside of ourselves and feel like we have a lot of calm, stability, a place in our hearts where we feel that we can dwell in a place that's spacious and very balanced. So the four abodes are first is loving-kindness or goodwill, Metta, and this is the basis for all of the other Brahma Viharas. This ability to develop and to maintain an attitude of goodwill in our hearts, so that that is a default setting that the mind and heart go to whenever we face any situation a situation inside of ourselves, a situation outside of ourselves. We develop that kind of habit pattern of the mind that it will automatically incline towards loving-kindness. As the Buddha said, what a person reflects upon over and over again to that his or her mind will incline. So when we do the metta practice, as we do all the Brahma-vihara practices, we incline the mind over and over again with words that we're using that Um, imbue uh, the words with loving-kindness, with goodwill, with ways that we see a situation, with uh, goodwill, kindness in our hearts. So we practice doing that with different individuals and, of course, different situations come up. And it can become, goodwill can become the default setting of the mind or the heart. Or, at the very least, it can go there more than it has before when it's not been practicing loving-kindness. When metta or loving-kindness turns to suffering, the aspect of compassion comes out of that goodwill, the ability to open to suffering with a courageous heart, with a noble heart, the ability to open to suffering without flinching, without closing down, without striking at the uh, suffering because we don't want it to be there. So we develop this when we're doing compassion practice. Turning metta or goodwill to suffering is compassion practice. And when we develop compassion, we're more able to incline the mind in a natural, organic way without it going to cruelty or without it going to just a feeling of overwhelming grief. 
which can normally happen when we're opening to suffering. When the mind and heart incline towards joy, when metta inclines towards joy, the aspect of sympathetic joy, or mudita, comes out of the metta practice just naturally. Instead of jealousy or envy or comparing oneself to the person who's experiencing joy, we can uh, have joy for the joy of another. That's the description of sympathetic joy. And so with the uh, equanimity, what happens there is goodwill turns towards both the joy and the suffering of the world or of ourselves in the world. And the mind is able and the heart is able to open to both the joy and the suffering, the pleasure and the pain, without closing down, without striking out, without turning away from. It's said that this equanimity, which is what happens when we turn metta to both the joy and the sorrow, and we're, open to, we're able to open wide enough to contain it all, that this ability to do this is of the four Brahma-viharas, the king or the queen of all the four Brahma-viharas, the crowning glory of all the four Brahma-viharas. Because if we can't open to what's going on in the world with our loved ones or even far away from us with goodwill, we can't open to the suffering of the world, it's hard for us to open to the joy of the world, then we try to practice equanimity to see if we can just first open to it and see if the heart can accept it just as it is. So it's a mind that's able to be spacious and balanced enough to accept things as they are. One of the experiences of um, equanimity that is kind of like a first-hand experience, is that it rests the mind before falling into extremes, before it falls into extremes. The extreme of reactivity, basically, which is the direct opposite of equanimity. It's called the far enemy because this reactivity can be noticed from afar. It's not subtle. It's a big reactivity of either attachment or aversion. With equanimity, there's the feeling of resting the mind before it falls into either of those extremes, or there's a a feeling, an inner sense of being able to stand in the middle and to see all sides, not kind of leaning to one side or another, but to really be able to stand in a place where you can look around and feel the spaciousness of your own mind and heart and see all sides possible. So it doesn't get closed down to any side. Usually what we react to are the eight worldly worldly conditions of gain and loss, pleasure and pain, uh, also fame and disrepute, praise and blame. These are the eight worldly conditions with all the things like gain, pleasure, praise, and fame, we often react with attachment. With the other side, loss, pain, blame, and disrepute, we will often react with aversion or ill will 
because we don't like what's going on. This is the natural tendency of the mind. It's not the most deeply natural, but it is the habit pattern that for many of us we were born into and it's been perpetuated by the places we live in, in our families, in our society, and the place in our own hearts, which one of my students called the cow path of the mind. Because it seems like no matter what what the field looks like, we just always seem to fall into that cow path, to that place that's kind of deep, those deep ruts of the mind. So what equanimity allows us to do is to have a clear and direct connection with the outer condition, what's going on outside of us, in our families, our dear friends, our benefactors, uh, our friends, and to have a clear, direct connection with what's going on inside our own hearts. Because oftentimes we're closed down to what's going on inside of us, even more so than what's going on outside of us in the situations of the world. We're able to open up with a real kind of gut reaction, heart reaction of, this is how it is right now. Not closing down, not striking out with blaming or defensiveness, but a clear mind of being able to say, all right, this is how it is right now. Can I just face this as it is? Instead of wanting it to be different or condemning it because it is the way it is, which really saps our energy and it doesn't allow us to see really clearly. The habit patterns of reactivity run very deep. They run very strong. They're so deeply rooted that it takes a lot of practice to uh, find a way where we can lift our energy outside of those deep ruts and to create other pathways that the mind and heart can tune into more and more easily. So when we go into this reactivity of either attachment or aversion, so in in this uh, particular Brahma-vihara of equanimity, the far enemy is twofold. It's both aversion and attachment under the heading of reactivity. When this reactivity occurs, there's no time to assess the situation clearly. The mind is filled or blocked with some form of reactivity. So that's where we're living in that place in time. We're living in a very narrow place of the mind, not a very wise place to get information from. Our information is colored by and projected onto life and to others with either attachment or aversion. Not a very good way to handle our lives, but it is the way it is, too. We have to be able to face that. So just as in the practice of metta, we cultivate the habit of inclining the mind towards goodwill over and over again, in this practice of equanimity, we're inclining the mind towards equanimity over and over again with the different uh, individuals that we'll be using in a different progression than the metta progression is in and with different phrases 
we'll be using. All of the phrases, all of the uh, ways of, that we direct our energy are also imbued with goodwill. But they're all phrases of equanimity, and I'll mention them uh, to you in a minute. So we incline the mind towards a spacious balance that has a calmness there with it. That calmness is the ability to just accept things as they are, as hard as it is. A lot of times the development of wisdom cannot come because we just can't accept the moment as it is, things as they are. Now, in our Vipassana practice, we've already been developing equanimity uh, indirectly by developing a a more spacious mind. We've been asking you to relax the mind more. Uh, Let the mind be spacious in, in many cases. And to see whether you can find the middle path, a balance. So this is how we've been advising you Uh, every day and bit by bit. This ability to incline the mind there is hugely supportive in our daily life so that we can see things as they are, assess the situation in a way that can bring about balance in our own hearts, but also bring about balance and harmony around us. So they say of all the Brahma-viharas that this one is really the highest or the most important to develop this particular Brahma-vihara because then this Brahma-vihara, this equanimity, this balance starts to infuse loving-kindness or goodwill, starts to infuse compassion and uh, sympathetic joy so that the same goodwill that we can have for a loved one, we can have for a neutral person or a difficult person and the same with all the other Brahma-viharas. So it it enables us to have kind of no boundaries. It that enables us to have this illimitable, uh, boundaryless infusion of goodwill towards all beings everywhere. So it's also a powerful support in our Vipassana practice because without equanimity supporting Uh, Vipassana, the mind isn't really able to relax and see things clearly. It's always in the state of reactivity. If something arises that is uh, displeasing to us, uncomfortable to us, we don't like it. Uh, It it can be something as simple as we don't like the schedule or we don't like the food. The mind reacts to that. And then then we have a reaction within to that, what's going on outwardly, and then we have another reaction to what's going on inwardly. We feel the aversion, we feel the displeasure, and then there's another layer of suffering added on to that already layer of suffering. So we can see, it's easy to see how it's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And when we come to a retreat like this, a lot of what we're doing is releasing, unlayering, disentangling. And the more tangles or layers that are in there, the longer time it takes for these layers to slough themselves off by means of the practices that we're doing and just being able to see clearly things as they are. 
So it's a powerful support in our Vipassana practice. It enables us to reach the highest uh, realms of understanding, that deep liberating insight. And in the seven factors of enlightenment, equanimity is the last factor. It's said to be the doorway to the unconditioned, the doorway to peace, the doorway to nibbana. And so cultivating it in this way really helps us in our insight practice of vipassana. So first we're going to develop equanimity Uh, We're going to do it on two levels here. It's very different from the equanimity practice that you might have practiced or read in the uh, Visuddhimagga, for example, or some of the commentaries. In this practice, the first uh, place we're going to develop equanimity is when we think of a person in our lives, and I'll give you the progression when we go along, that we're having some relationship with where there's a good deal of neutrality. And then we go on to more and more people where we feel there might be some reactivity. And in that relationship, the relationship not to ourselves, but to that person, we're going to try to develop a a response to that relationship of equanimity, bringing that person up around a particular situation and uh, developing equanimity in relationship to that person or to that situation. So we'll stay with that person for a while, and then we'll turn the attention to what's happening in our own hearts, possibly in reactivity to that person or in reactivity to that uh, situation or response to that situation. We'll see what's going on inside. Maybe it's a feeling of hurt or sadness or betrayal or aversion or attachment to how we think it should be. And then we will develop equanimity in relationship to what's going on in our own hearts. So it's very similar to actually the Vipassana practice that we're doing. I wanted to give you an actual example of this uh, So here's a situation where there was a person in my life and it's still kind of there for me that I was deeply hurt by, felt really betrayed by. And uh, I wasn't able to open my heart to that person for a long, long time. It would not work in the metta practice for a long, long time. I couldn't even get that person in the difficult person category because it hurt so much. It was, uh, I felt deeply betrayed by that person. So I was started to do some equanimity practice, opening to the whole situation. This is how it is in this situation. This happened and this happened. I, I was able to reflect on the whole thing and able to allow time for my heart and my mind to just open to it, to just accept it, to just see how it is. And to just be able to say, okay, this is how it is in this situation. Over and over again, this is how it is. This is how it is. I can't do anything about it now, about what happened. It's all in the past. 
Still, I wasn't able to open to it. Finally, I got some hold of that, being able to just face it, just open to it. And then, turning the mind and the equanimity practice to my own heart and feeling the sense of betrayal, feeling the sense of really deep hurt and a lot of anxiety, a lot of ill will also. It was just full-blown. And to be able to face one thing at a time inside myself and say, this is how it is in my own heart. This is how it goes. May I open to this with more equanimity, with more balance. So being able to do both, opening to the outer situation, opening to the inner situation with equanimity, gives really a very full and deep training in this practice. You may not be able to really feel that happen here, but what you'll be able to do is take the practice home with you and be able to know, okay, this is what I can do when I'm home with the practice. It may come to you when you're in the midst of a situation that paying attention to what's going on out there and then paying attention to what's going on in here. Similar to what we do in the practice of vipassana, paying attention to the pain in the body and then turning the mind and the vipassana practice to what's going on in the mind in relationship to the body. So it's, it's kind of helping you to find that way to turn, to look at what's going on in your own hearts and minds and getting into the habit pattern of doing that as well, precisely with the practice of equanimity. So we'll be doing this in the next few days and it'll really give you a chance to to practice it so you can take it home with you. I'm going to uh, take a little more time than usual to do this, so I'll go into our question and answer timing when we do this. So let's take our places now and um, find a way that we can get comfortable and give the practice um, our respect and our attention. So letting the words just dissolve now. We don't need to remember anything at all. We've taken in some understanding and just let it be where it lies, perhaps even forgotten. Close your eyes if that helps you. And please take a moment to bring your attention to the body. Noticing any places of tension or holding. And seeing if you can relax intentionally around those areas.
letting the mind and the body and the heart settle down. Breathing in from the heart center, in and out from that place. See if you can release any holding or resistance in your own heart to doing the practice, to be being able to open your heart to how it is. Offering metta to yourself in your own way, if you can. Calling in your benefactors, if that's better for you. Offering metta out and feeling your capacity to do that. With the equanimity practice, we begin with a neutral person. In this progression, it is the easiest person. Sometimes it's not so easy, but it's usually the person we have the most neutral feelings around. So have a sense of who it is. Perhaps it's someone you've already chosen before. And with this person, what we reflect on is the fact that joy and sorrow arise and pass away for everyone, including this person. This is how it is for you, though I don't know the details of your life. All beings meet their joys and sorrows according to their own nature. This is how it is for you. It might be your neighbor or a clerk in your neighborhood, a person here. All beings have their own journey through their joys and sorrows. Just a statement of fact. It's not sending them anything. It's just a statement of wisdom. And then turning the attention to our own hearts. There may not be much to see there at this time. A lot of times because it's quite neutral. 
We're not very familiar with that person. Turning to your own heart and mind, noticing what's going on there. This is how it is in my own heart. Just opening, accepting, relaxing, noticing it clearly. This is how it is in my own heart in relationship to this person. And then we move on to a dear friend. Someone you care about, someone who's alive today during this time. Choosing someone you're not having a lot of ups and downs with. But perhaps this person does have some ups and downs in this person's life, some challenges, or perhaps a lot of joy. Have a sense of who that is. And then allow yourself to think about to reflect on this person's life or particular situation going on now regarding their ups and downs of life. And then use a phrase that helps you respond to that person's situation and to them, that person per se, with more equanimity, as much as you can. All beings have their own journey. Joy and sorrow arise for everyone pass away for everyone. This is how it is. No matter how I might wish things to be otherwise, things are as they are right now.
or the simple phrase, this is how it is for you right now. Inclining your heart and mind towards equanimity. This is how it is for you right now. And then turning your attention to your own heart and mind. And asking yourself, how do I feel inside my own heart about this person, about this person's situation? Really knowing how it is for you right now. On a deeper level. Do you feel anxious? Some ill will? Wanting it to be different? being truthful and clear with yourself in the privacy of your own heart. This is how it is for me in my own heart right now. May I open to how it is in my own heart with clarity and balance. May I accept things as they are in my heart right now.
When there are no more words, just rest in the breath. This is how it is in my own heart. Moving on to a benefactor. Perhaps someone you've chosen before. Making it easy on yourself. Have a sense of who it is. Then allow yourself to reflect about this person. Perhaps it's something about their aging process, their illness, something about the challenge of their life, their joys or sorrows. Remember them in their situation. May I accept how it is for you and your life with equanimity. All beings have their own journey. Keeping that relaxed, spacious balance in your own heart. This is how it is for you right now.
And now turn your attention, if you haven't done so already, to your own heart and mind. Just seeing what's going on there. Connecting clearly, honestly, with whatever's happening in your own heart in relationship to that person. Is there anxiety or fear, attachment, gratitude? goodwill, may I accept how it is in my own heart. May my heart be at ease with the conditions of your life. Whatever you find going on in your own heart, you can name it. This is how it is right now. Is it numbness or disconnection? You can name that too. This is how it is right now. Indifference or apathy. Now moving on to the next individual, a difficult person, 
someone you're having difficulty with. Having a sense of who it is. And then taking some time to reflect on the situation in connection with this person. Just being careful that you're not fueling any fire. Looking at the situation objectively as it is. The challenges. No matter how I wish things might be otherwise, things are as they are right now. my heart open to how it is right now in this situation. Just relaxing the heart around it. Making sure to breathe out. Joy and sorrow arise and pass away for everyone. It's part of everyone's journey. Now turning your attention to your own heart, to someplace deep inside you. Letting yourself open and connect with that place. Relax around whatever you notice in your heart in relationship to this person. 
opening, relaxing. Clearly seeing this is how it is right now in my own heart. You may be able to name it or not name it, that's okay. May I open to this with balance and ease. Relaxing around the inner situation. Softening, accepting as much as you can. This is how it is in my own heart. Many feelings can pass through, but generally the heart can remain at ease, spacious, allowing things to come and go without getting stuck. And lastly, turning the attention to one's own life, oneself. And here we're going to reflect on something that's going on around us in our own lives. It could be something about work, something about family, relationship, school, Just opening to the bigger situation, how it is around us in the conditions of our life. Our children, our budget, just how it is. Seeing if you can relax the heart around it. Open your attention to the gentle rain. Open it wide. This is how it is in my life right now. Joy or sorrow or both. All the ups and downs all the pleasure and pain, 
all the birth and death. It's how it is right now. Gain and loss arise and pass away. Birth and death arise and pass away. May I open to all of my life with balance clarity, ease, and loving-kindness. Allowing the gentle rain to hold your attention spaciously. coming and going of all the raindrops, the heat and the coolness, all all conditions arise and pass away. And then turning your attention to your own heart your own heart's response to your life, how it is, a particular situation or a bigger part of your life. What is it like in there? Maybe it's gratitude. Maybe it's sorrow. Maybe there's some joy. Whatever there is, just opening to that. This is how it is in my own heart. This is part of my journey. May I meet each part of my journey with a spacious heart, with balance and clarity.
May I know each moment just as it is. So do you have any questions about that practice? How you were able to stay with the different places and uh, maybe there were places that were more difficult than others for you. Yeah. Uh huh. And it felt somewhat re- resignation, uh huh. Yes. Something. And yeah. I know that's me. It's not what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. The comment is that in one of the um, responses, may I accept this situation just as it is? Uh, something like that. I understand your conditions are just as they are. And it sounds, you can, you can, it can sound like resignation, which is actually one of the, the near enemy to, uh, to this equanimity. So what's good to understand about these phrases is that it's really being able to open to what is going on so that and we, we can't forget the next part, though, so that maybe we can take action in a loving way or non-action. It's not about not taking action at all. It's about being able to open to it so that we can see clearly. And from that seeing clearly, from that acceptance, we'll be able to take the right step. So it might be just a momentary surrender to things as they are, But it's not like it's going to be like that forever. That's why I use the word right now. This is how it is right now. Yeah. Uh, Just so that that differentiates it from it being this is how it's going to be forever for me or for you. Yeah. The Jack Nicholson movie, it's as good as it gets. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. It goes up and down. It's never like this is how it is statically forever. So if you can take each phrase with that kind of understanding behind the phrase, then, then it would be helpful. It just has a little more wisdom to it. This equanimity practice is more of a wisdom practice, actually. Yeah. Back there. Right. Right. Pardon, the last part is? It will be 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So if I could hear that, I presume everybody could hear that, that um, how do you reconcile it with a person you're opening to with a disease or an illness and you know they're not going to get better. Yeah. Remember that the aim of the practice is just to accept the fact that this is the way it is for them right now. That's the aim of the practice. It's not about... Um, you know, thinking that this is going to be that way forever for them. In fact, which in fact, it's not that way all the time for people who have a disease or an illness. Within that disease or illness, there's always ups and downs. And in fact, you know, th- they die, we, like we all do. So that will come to an end sometime too. And it's really accepting all of that, being able to open to all of that. So the main aim of the practice is to help us open to how it is for them or for the, that situation they're in, they're in right now. And it, it isn't seeing that situation for them over time. It's like taking that situation right now and saying, can I open to this right now, to your situation as it is right now? Can I open to it right now in my own heart? So that can help your own heart have some clarity and have a place of perhaps if you need to respond to that person, it's responding instead of with grief or with kind of a submission to it, it's responding with a little more, can respond with a little more wisdom or compassion. But if we're like, oh no, this is a way, they are doomed you know, if, if we're thinking that, then we're not going to be able to respond um, with some clarity. Yeah. Um, when you're working with a friend, is it okay to choose a friend that you haven't been in contact with and you're not, you don't know actually what's going on with them? If you're, you're still a close friend. If you're choosing a close friend and you haven't been in contact with them, is it okay to choose them if you don't know what's going on with them right now? It would be better to choose someone that you, you know what's going on with them right now. It would be clearer to you. Yeah. Yes? I, when we started the exercise, I found myself leaping immediately to the, to the relative who's in great distress and, and uh, who I have a lot of feelings about. Yeah. It's hard for me not to just jump there. Uh-huh. Uh, and I had a lot of immediate emotional response to, to thinking of her. Mm-hmm. Then when you took us back and insisted that we that we wait till we get to the end of progression for that person, I found that, that a lot of my emotion had dissipated and I was still feeling it energetically. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, it didn't have to come out as much. So there was something about the way we went from yeah. one person to the other that made that easier. Right, it's, it's um, designed so that we start, it, we, go, we start out with the easier ones first, so that when we get to the more difficult ones, it isn't that they're difficult themselves, but our relationship with them brings up difficulty in our own heart, then it does become easier. We see it's not because we don't have any emotion about it, but it's because we're, we're opening to their situation with more ease and balance and a lot of clarity within. In fact, we can feel the emotion 
very intimately, but we're not reacting with grief. Yeah. That's right. We're not having to identify with that emotion that's going on with them or we're not identifying with their problem or what's going on with them. We're just developing an ease in ourselves of being able to be with it very clearly and not um, kind of fall down and in, in drown in reactivity. Yeah. I have a story I always tell that uh, gives this example. I have my eldest daughter um, went through something very difficult, having um, cervical cancer. But she's fine now. I always forget to say that part. She's more than seven years fine. But when she was in the hospital and she was having a radical hysterectomy, um, she was re- really needing some pain killers, uh, something to help her get through the pain, and. This was my first, my eldest daughter and the first of my grown children that has gone through such a serious um, situation. I've never gone through it myself, but seeing it with somebody so close, it really did a lot to kind of crumble me inside. And I, during that time, I didn't feel like I, I just had that strength and that balance to be with it. So I was in the hospital with her when she was going through a lot of pain and the nurses weren't coming in on time. She needed a painkiller sooner, etc. And so I was standing against the wall, and she was in her bed, and she was saying, Mom, go and ask the nurses. I need to get this, you know, more in the whatever the drip is. And I was standing against the wall, and I was, I was kind of feeling dizzy and kind of sick, and I was just sort of slinking down the wall. And she said, Mom, don't go there. I need you. And it, it, So, you know, when we're reacting, because we can't be equanimous, strong, balanced, spacious, being able to take that situation just as it is, we're, we're of no help to anyone. We're just... And, you know, likely she reminded me, you know, just get yourself up and go out and ask for what we need, what I need. So that's why it's really helpful to be in that place. It isn't though, it isn't a place where we have apathy or we're distanced from the situation. It's more like we're fully facing the situation, but we're not submitting to, you know, any of the reactivity that we're feeling. I could have been angry at the nurses. I could have been in so much grief at, with my... Um, with what was happening with her, that there's, there's just too much unclarity and weakness in the mind to be able to deal with the situation. So um, that's why we need equanimity. It's a huge support in our daily life. And, uh, and then also in, in our own Vipassana practice. Yeah, back there. Yeah. Um, uh, instead of feeling really a sense of equanimity, let's say, which I would say is tranquility, mm-hmm. I find myself kind of going more towards indifference. That's right. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if there's some kind of a technique or a thought pattern or something that you might suggest that can mm-hmm. take 
Right, right. Yeah. So what you're what you're saying is very clear, and that's what what happens when we go to the neutral person. That uh, near enemy of indifference comes up, and we're able to feel like feel what indifference feels like in our own hearts. What that apathy feels like, or it's sometimes it's more than that. It's a callousness, like I don't care. I really don't care. You know, I I don't. I'm not saying that's what you, you feel, but it can go there sometimes. So what do we do? It's to really to come back. You, you're seeing that about that situation. And then when you turn your attention to your own heart, that's probably when you realized, or maybe even before then, oh, this is indifference. It's a, it's a kind of apathy. So turning to your own heart and saying, this is how it is right now in here, that's the first step in realizing where you are, right in your own heart. If, and then if you wanted to take it further, uh, I mean, you, you could switch to metta, or you could switch to if there is suffering a little bit and you see their suffering, or you might know of something like the children in different parts of the world who don't get enough food or something like that. You can open it up more and, and turn to compassion practice. So that's how you might kind of make it a little more juicy with people that you you don't know. Uh, Yeah. Way back there. I'm wondering whether I did it right because I got kind of overwhelmed. And instead of, I understood the word situation to mean person's complete situation. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. My reactions were very complex to different parts of them. Yeah, I also met um, particular situations. Yeah, you can choose some unique uh, situation, and that that might help your mind to um, just be more clear about what's going on. Would you be able to do that? Sure. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. that you feel like this deep sense of betrayal and, uh-huh. and, and in the heart is not opening mm-hmm. and it's sort of like you're, you're trying to you know, be open to it but it's just like it's, it's constricted a little bit your heart's constricted around a, a situation of betrayal mm-hmm. yeah what do you do that's where you put more attention on equanimity towards what's going on in your heart towards that betrayal and um it's interesting with the Tibetans, they practice equanimity first, at least from what I learned from uh, practicing with Lama Paldin, that there's uh, the equanimity comes first. So you, you're able to first open to how it is in your heart, that feeling of betrayal. And then from that place, maybe you can offer metta, kind of that soothing, gentle metta to your own heart. So starting with equanimity first and then going on to metta after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you say start with equanimity first, you mean, um, as, I, as I was hearing you, and I apologize if I wasn't hearing you correctly, but um, you start by um, thinking of the person's situation 
Yes. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yes. Uh, I've never done this practice this way, and you kind of announced at one point, "Well, you've you've never done it like this," and I haven't. Uh huh. Um, can you talk about the history of it, or the history of this practice? Yeah. Or where you learned it, or? Well, I started to do this practice for myself. Um, because I realized that I need, needed equanimity at two levels. This isn't anywhere in the Pali Canon. Um, in, and it, it's different there, and I, I'm not going to go into that now because it's just um, too much information. But I realized that this was really helpful for me also in terms of this kind of practice of vipassana in making um, the habit pattern of turning the attention to what's going on in the mind, in the heart. And I realized when I was doing the practice of citta which is um, turning the attention towards the mind. The mind in, in the Dhamma is here. It's in the heart. It's not separate. Mind and heart aren't separate. So when I turn the attention here to what's going on in my own heart, oftentimes I found that I needed more equanimity. So it's developing equanimity in oneself with regard to what's going on out there and what's going on in here. And so the, the phrases are, are meant to develop equanimity in oneself, and it's not meant to pervade it out there to a certain being, or because the equanimity phrase might be traditionally, you know, with friend, or may you have equanimity. But every phrase is about developing equanimity in here. So it's, it's really turning it around to develop it mostly in your own heart, essentially in your own heart. Yeah. So it's a, it's a Kamala original? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but I mean, we're doing the same thing with, you know, we're developing metta in our own hearts with regard to the people out there. And then we look at what's going on in here and we develop metta. It's the same thing with compassion. So just taking that principle and doing that also with equanimity. Yeah. One last one. Hutch. You said that um, mind and heart were the same. Uh huh. Not any Dharma talk I've heard, the Pasta did any, that ever get said. Oh. Yeah, they are the same. I mean, um, you probably just weren't here when we said it, or. <laughs> but it, yeah, and we don't say it all the time either. But um, mind and heart, same, the same place. Actually, there's a place in that they ha- that they talk about in the Pali Canon and the commentaries about the Hariyavatu. And it's not a place up here. It's a sack. They, they, they describe it to be a sack near the heart center. That has, it's imperceptible, according to my own teacher, Upandita. I've heard it from him. And it has very, very clear liquid in it. And that is the place where the, the seat of the mind, really, that place. 
And that place is always changing also. There's no permanency about that. So that's the place that when you, when you see all these great Seodaos and Achans and Rinpoches, when they talk about the mind, a lot of times you see them pointing here, not here. You know, this is just like the computer center that's sending out all the whatever, putting together, and the, the energy is coming from here. More Western, yes. It is kind of more psychological Western thought. It's all good. It's all good. Okay, I think, I think that's good too because too much information, you want to just let go of all the information now and go back to your uh, Vipassana practice. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.